All right. Well, it seemed right to Ryan and to me that, that before we would move on from our focusing on Jesus' teaching regarding the nature of true worship, which we have been giving attention to in John 4, 20 to 24, that it would be good for us to give a bit of attention to what worshiping the Father in spirit and truth actually look like in a gathering of true worshipers. And one text that I believe is, is very helpful in shaping us, in informing us, is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. So, I promise, God willing, weather permitting, all these things, that we will get back on track with John's gospel next week. But for today, I want to invite you to turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5 and follow along. I'm going to begin reading in verse 17 and read through verse 20. And uh, as always, we're just so mindful that this is God's, God's word. This is God's holy word. This is God's authoritative word. This is God's life-changing word. This is the word that has a claim on the people of God for all times. And so we read it like we read no other word. Follow along. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God's word be blessed in its reading and preaching. Before we uh, jump in here, just, just to give you an idea where we're going, I'm going to, I want to ex- give attention to this text, but uh, in light of what this text is teaching, we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit longer time in responding to it afterwards. So just because we're done with the sermon, um, we're going we're gonna to just linger longer afterwards. So don't, don't run off right away. By now, it should be clear that true worship begins with truth about God in our minds. It begins with thinking clearly. But not just truth about God in our minds, but actually seeing, sensing, beholding the truth about God in such a way that it stirs heartfelt affections for God. True worship is a matter of head and heart. It's a matter of seeing and savoring. But it does not stop there. The heart felt affections for God we feel must be expressed. They have to come out. Our friend Rick Gamash says, worship is a right response to God as he is seen in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And the right or the 
fitting response that is commensurate to the glory of God displayed in Jesus involves our whole being. We worship the Lord with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. All of our being, body, emotions, relationships, resources, all of it. And worship is when we drink of the fountain of living water, which is God Himself, and our heart hunger, our soul thirst is satisfied, and we discover that drinking that water, feeding on that food, is the most enjoyable experience imaginable. And we then express, in dozens of ways, Yes! Yes, you are my joy, my delight, my satisfaction. That is true worship. And because that's what worship is, and because as humans we are a worshipful people, our hearts continually move towards things that our hearts want to have, it's clear, isn't it, that that that's what God created us for. We were made by God to be a worshiping people. And further, we were made by God, designed by God, created by God to be an expressive people. From beginning to end, the Bible is full of expressions of worship. Why is that? God intended us to be an expressive People, and that's because God intended us to be a worshiping people. So when we sing, when we shout, or we clap, or we throw our hands into the air, we are saying the glory of God that I see in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the comfort, the joy, the soul satisfaction that I experience as I behold the glory of Jesus is so great, it is so deep, it is so majestic, it is so profound that just merely thinking about it or talking about it is not enough. The depth of our Feelings for the glory of Jesus demands expression, full expression, commensurate expression, congruent expression. And that's what we're going to focus on now. So my aim here is to draw your attention to to five observations from Ephesians chapter 5 verses 18 to 20 regarding what worshiping the Father together looks like. And I just tell you, my my unashamed, unapologetic, and most earnest desire in prayer is that God would communicate His grace to us and use His Word to shape Emmaus Road Church as a distinctly, biblically expressive church. The claim of Ephesians chapter 5 verses 18 to 20 is that spirit-filled people are expressive in their worship. I'll say that again. That's the claim of this text. Spirit-filled people are expressive in their worship. Now I realize for some of you, 
in order for that to happen, I mean, that's, that will take a miracle. Some of you are Dutch. Uh, some of you are Scandinavian. Some of you are German. Some of you are Asian. Some of you have been taught that God does not approve of joyful expressions. Some of you have been taught that to express oneself beyond the bound of reverent singing is the equivalent of offering strange fire. Got to look out for offering strange fire. Some of you can't sing. Uh, I know that as I listen. I mean, in, in every group, in every church, there are some who, just putting it kindly, are not musical performers. But you see, that's the great thing, isn't it? We're not talking about performing. We are talking about engaging with God within the bounds of the Word of God. So, first of all then, expressive worship is a manifestation of the fullness of the Spirit. Expressive worship is a manifestation of the fullness of the Spirit. And here's where I get that. Verses 18 and 19 again. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. Now you can see that the text, right, is, it's plainly about musical expression. But, but even more, more fundamentally, this text is about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody and so forth, these are all just participles modifying the one imperative. The one imperative, the one command is be filled with the Spirit. So this is not an option for Christians. It is a command. And it is a command for all Christians. And it is a plural command. And therefore written to every Christian everywhere at all times. So being filled with the Spirit is a duty for all Christians. And it is in the present tense, so that the action commanded is continuous and ongoing. So a more literal rendering of the translation would be, keep on being continually filled with the Spirit. In other words, being filled with the Spirit must be repeatedly happening, must be sought continually. When we become Christians... Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. And, and throughout our lifetime, God then providentially works in us uh, through various means and various experiences to actually enlarge our capacity for more of the Spirit. Life has a way of excavating our inner being, especially painful things. And so, as we are excavated internally, God is really just preparing a larger, larger capacity for more and more of His fullness, the fullness of His Spirit. So, we continually seek God to increase our capacity for experiencing more 
of the fullness of his spirit. And the difference between the presence of the spirit and the filling of the spirit in our lives is, this has always been helpful to me, it's analogous to the, to the way a gas furnace works in your house. If you assume everybody probably in this neck of the woods has a gas furnace, you know that the, the pilot light should be on at all times, it's supposed to be lit, and that, that, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit in every Christian. The Holy Spirit is the pilot light in every Christian's heart. And the Holy Spirit, uh, that that pilot light of the Holy Spirit must be lit. And then this time of the year, of course, uh, especially every now and then, you'll you'll hear this. And the furnace goes on and it heats the house. And just as the pilot light being continually lit is like the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that is this, in, this intense intensification of feeling and affection, of comfort and joy and peace and all spiritual affections that we experience in God through Christ. And when there's this fresh filling. David Martin Lloyd-Jones describes being filled with the Spirit like this. He says, Let us realize then the profound character of the experience. This is not light, superficial, and ordinary. It's not something about which you can say, don't worry about your feelings. Worry about your feelings. You will have such a depth of feeling that for a moment you may feel that you have never felt anything in your life before. It is the profoundest experience that a person can ever know. When a, when a Brit says profoundest, I, I think that means that that's a permissible word. Um, but this is, this is an extraordinary experience when we are filled with the Spirit. And so what should we expect to be the result of the power of this profound experience and emotion that comes as a result of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Well, when the the Holy Spirit fills people, of course, he manifests himself in spiritual gifts, manifests himself in, in character traits like Jesus. But the main mission of the Holy Spirit is to magnify and glorify Jesus Christ. That is to quench our soul thirst with the comfort and joy and satisfaction that are in Christ. Jesus says in John 16, 14, the Holy Spirit will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So when the Holy Spirit fills us more, he comes and reveals to us more of the glories of Jesus. And when we experience and we see and we sense more of the glories of Jesus, our hearts go with heat and power and heartfelt desires and affection for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And our response to that is to express ourselves in worship. That's why the Apostle Paul says that 
Singing is an expression of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's only because of the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit by which we see the glories of Jesus, experience the glories of Jesus, and worship the glories of Jesus. In other words, that is worship in spirit. So here's what the text is calling us to do. That is, it's calling us to seek to be continually and repeatedly filled with the Holy Spirit so that we are continually and repeatedly filled with vision and apprehension of the glory and beauty of Christ that will in turn ignite a right and fitting response in our hearts that gives way to expressions of true worship. And, and remember, we, we've said this you know, often, it, probably to the point where we should have this text memorized, but the, the way we get more of the Holy Spirit is, is it's by asking. Luke eleven thirteen says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So ask, ask, and ask. Loved ones, we are committed to engaging with God in true worship. And true worship in spirit is, by, necess by necessity, expressive worship, which is a result of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, expressive worship is intended by God to be from the heart. Again, verses 18 and 19. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So expressive worship is an external, outward manifestation of an inward reality. You, you never have to tell authentic true worshipers to come on and sing it like you mean it. Because authentic worshipers sing because they do mean it. The Apostle Paul commanded 1 Corinthians 6.20 Glorify God with your body. And singing is just one way to glorify God with your body. Our bodies, they just naturally reflect what, what affects us, right? One doesn't have to be told. Like, you don't have to have somebody... It's March Madness, right? And if you see a buzzer beater for the win, and it's your team, nobody has to come and explain to you. Now, now when this happens, you need to jump up off your couch and just, you know, let out a shout. Our, our bodies just naturally respond. I, I don't need somebody to, when my granddaughter comes into the room, I do not need to have somebody say, now, come on, you're going to have to, I know you're going to have to dig down deep for a little discipline here, but, but open your arms and reach out for her. I, my, I don't need to be told that. It just is a natural response to the effect. 
I'm not saying that all of our worship is only authentic and true when our emotions are like burning for God and we're comfortable expressing them. That's because we're fickle, yes. I mean, we're sinful. There's times when I need, I might even need somebody to say to me, you know what, you could use a little discipline in speaking more sensitively and affectionately to your wife. We're drawn to idols that do not satisfy. There are times when we all bring to God. In this gathering, um, all that we bring to God in this gathering is the desire to feel some, any affection for Him. And there are times, sometimes, that all we bring is repentance for not feeling the desire to desire to feel. So how does this relate to expressing worship? Here's a helpful word from Vaughn Roberts who says, sometimes songs help us to express the emotion that we already feel. On other occasions, though, they will begin to trigger emotions because the music helps us begin to feel something of the wonder of the truths that we're singing about. So sometimes we will come to worship and our hearts are dull and then we start singing some glorious truth or we, we listen to our brothers and sisters singing glorious truths about what God has accomplished for His people in Jesus Christ. And pretty soon, our hearts ignite with heartfelt desires and spiritual affections. And we begin to feel joy. And we begin to feel soul satisfaction. We begin to feel some of the reality of what we're singing about. And in the process, our singing is then transformed. And that's because our bodies reflect what affects us. And singing is only one type of bodily reflection or outward expression. There's also clapping. There's also bowing down. There's also lifting hands. There's, some of you be happy to know, dancing and some shouting and standing in awe. Why these? God's word speaks to us to use our bodies to glorify Him and to express what we feel about Him. God's word commands us to raise our hands. That's because raising hands is a physical expression of dependence, of gratitude, of expectation, of reverence of excitement and joy that we feel in and toward Christ. It's a congruence, right? It's all about congruence. If, if we are seeing and sensing that that is the reality of Christ, well, then our bodies, there's a congruent response. God's Word commands us to clap our hands and to applaud. And it's not as an expression of praise for the, the worship musicians. They, they, they would be embarrassed if that's what happened. 
were clapping and applauding as a right and fitting, congruent response to God's greatness. We are clapping because Jesus has crushed the hater of our souls. We're clapping as an expression, appropriate expression of appreciation and excitement at being God's own children. God's word commands us to bow down as a right and fitting response when our hearts are filled with awe and reverence and wonder that the holy God who holds the universe together through his word has set his heart of love upon us. I mean, what else could you do? It's just the congruence. God's word commands, shouts, loud shouts, God's word commands dance. God's word commands joyful laughter because we feel the reality that we have been snatched by God from the wide road that leads to destruction and placed on the narrow road leading to eternal life. God commands this. God commands a countenance. A countenance. On our face to be congruent with the affections of our hearts. Our faces shine because of the astonishing reality of communing with the maker of heaven and earth. So, at Emmaus Road Church, this might not be true of other churches, but at Emmaus Road Church, we unapologetically and unashamedly and intentionally encourage all forms of physical expression since the Bible commands them. And because God expects our bodies to reflect what affects us. Now, here's a challenging word for you, but, but, but I want you to ask yourself, is there any physical outward expression of engaging with God in worship, some expression, outward expression of what's going on inwardly that God has commanded us in Scripture that you have never displayed in private or in gathered worship. And if there is, why not? It's fitting, I believe, loved ones, to, to probe ourselves in this matter, to, to, to search our hearts. Is it just laziness? I mean, I, again, I think about in, in relationship to you know, a spouse. You, you see couples, don't you? You can just see them, you know, they're both on their phones and they're not even looking at each other. You just feel awful that they're so disengaged. They look so unhappy together. Yeah, that, 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 there's something about our countenance, our posture, our engagement that is so fitting. And I think sometimes it's just plain laziness. Laziness. Or are you leaning on the way that you were brought up? Or are you leaning on the way that of your natural, the natural tendency of your temperament type? Or is there a theological reason? Like, like, well, I just never even thought about that before. Or is it the fear of what people will think of you? 
Or, or maybe it's because your affection for Jesus is just so cold. It's so cold. It's so nothing. It's so dead. You just, you need this, you know, turn the thermostat up. Ask God to reveal the reason. The good news, this is the good news. If it is a sin, if it's a sin, if it's disobedience, then, then simply repent and trust the word of God. Do what the Bible commands. This book provides the guardrails for, you know, I mean, maybe you're afraid of just people that's going to be weird, just weirdness. I remember in our first church, um, I heard from a denominational leader who, who, who called me and said, hey, the, they're saying, this is like 30 years ago, they're saying that your church has become charismatic. And I go, what? What, what are you hearing? And they said, well, the, they're saying that you sing a lot of songs. <sighs> Busted. <laughs> um, they're saying that some people raise their hands. I said, well, I, I guess that happens. I mean, is there a problem with that? Well, we just, we just wouldn't want people to think that a Baptist church is getting charismatic. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's your fear. It's not our fear. We, we, we just want to be congruent with who God is and congruent with the claims of God's word. Amen. This book provides the guardrails. I could tell you another story, but my wife would not be happy right now, um, of, of weirder things that I've seen, and that maybe you're afraid of those kinds of things, and I would be too. So, anyway, let's, we'll leave it at that. Um, we, we don't want to cultivate in any way an attitude of judging one another's display of affection, but they're all welcome, and they're all anticipated because of who God is. They're expected. There's ex they're expected to be on display as an honest expression of the heart. Here's the next thing. Expressive worship is to the Lord. It's to the Lord. And again, I get this from verse 19 that says, singing and making melody to the Lord. When we gather to worship, we're in the presence of the Lord. And we need to think about that. Think about that. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. So drawing near to the presence of the Lord. How is this even possible? How can sinners possibly draw near to a holy God who is a consuming fire? Hebrews 10.19 Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to Enter the holy places, the very presence of God by the blood of Jesus. Friends, this is massive. We do not sing. We do not shout. We do not raise our hands. We don't do anything else as a means of entering into God's presence. We sing and we shout we reach out to the Lord as expressions of the joy that we're already in God's presence. He's made this happen. It is a wonder. It is a gracious miracle of God's kindness. There are times 
when we're singing and we may become aware of this great comfort, this great joy, this great pleasure in God's presence, get this, it was not our singing that got us there. Nor was it the skill of our musicians or the anointing of the worship leader or the beauty of the music that got us there. I mean, just... Honestly, just the notion of that, that is so belittling to the gospel of Jesus. That did not get us there. It is the blood of Christ, the acceptable sacrifice of Jesus' perfect life, bearing the punishment for our sins in our place, which makes drawing near and experiencing God's nearness possible and expressiveness is a right response, a right congruent response to the reality that God has made a way into His presence. And it's because we're in God's presence, enjoying His presence, His mercy, His kindness, that all of our expressiveness is to the Lord. Here's another thing. Expressive worship is to be addressed to one another. Now, that might sound contradictory to what I just said, but not according to this text. Expressive worship is to be addressed to one another, verses 18 and 19. Be filled with the Spirit. What's it say? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So there's always a kind of a vertical direction and a horizontal direction simultaneously. We come to the worship gathering in order to be, what, strengthened by each other. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 talks about the worship gathering. It says, when you come together, let all things be done for building up. So worship is not only our response to God when we gather. Worship is our response to God in all of life. But... Gathered worship strengthens us for all of life worship. In other words, when, we see other, when, we, when others see and hear you sing, they're strengthened by that. When others see and hear you shout to the Lord or express your, they see your countenance, they see your, your love and enjoyment and your Clearly, your expressions of praise at the, at the glory of Jesus Christ, their darkness is lifted or at least provoked. And that's a good thing. They're strengthened. Listen again to Vaughn Roberts. He says, our singing should be one form of ministry of God's word to each other. We all need to be built up in our faith. This happens when we sing. Our song should be one of the ways by which we learn the truths of the Bible. We're not simply a collection of individuals praising God. That's a challenge, right? We need to think about that as we're worshiping the Lord. We're not just, we're not just by ourselves. We're, we're together. We are a community addressing one another. The, the rehearsal of great truths about God simultaneously brings praise to Him and encouragement to us. Most songs, therefore, have two audiences, a heavenly one and an earthly one. 
And we should keep both the horizontal and vertical dimensions in our minds as we sing. But it should be clear, I think, then, that it is impossible, absolutely impossible to obey Ephesians 5, 18 to 20 in isolation. We can only keep this command when we worship together. So let that register and remain in your thinking as we engage with God in this time. We're addressing one another and we're engaging with our Heavenly Father together. Here's the last thing. Expressive worship communicates gratitude to God for Jesus Christ. Communicates gratitude, thanksgiving to God for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I hope it's apparent to you, uh, but, but the songs that our, our guys choose for us to sing, um, they are filled to overflowing with the gospel. And, and gratitude is a fruit of the gospel, a functional fruit of the gospel. Grateful people are a result of their joy in the gospel. And oh, that the culture and ethos of Emmaus Road Church would, it would be discernible, overflowing gratitude to God for Jesus Christ. Grateful people. God sent His only begotten Son to earth as a man. Jesus was the only person to ever have lived a perfect life of obedience to God. Because He was perfectly obedient, He agreed to His Father's plan to redeem a people for Himself. The only perfect man to walk this earth suffered the unspeakable horrors of a Roman crucifixion in order to pay the penalty for the sins of his people. And he did it so that they would never have to. And because Christ died in our place, our guilt is wiped away. And because Christ lived a perfect life, we now have that perfect life obedience of obedience credited to our account. And so now all of the benefits of forgiveness and righteousness are ours in Christ Jesus. And that's why we give full expression, congruent expression to the thanksgiving that's in our hearts. And my prayer is that now, if you never have before, you would trust Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Bank all your hope on him and his perfect life will be your life and his sacrificial death will be your death and you will be saved from eternal destruction and you will be saved for eternal life and joy and please join us in our earnest and practical pursuit of the quenching of our soul thirst in the person and work of Jesus and please join us in expressing the joy of soul thirst satisfied in Jesus by worshiping the Father in spirit and truth together. Let's do that now. Let's stand together.
So, Father in heaven, thank you that you have made every possible obstacle. You've removed every possible obstacle to your people being able to enjoy your fullness, the fullness of all that you are. You've accomplished it in the, the, the righteousness of Jesus, the sin-atoning death of Jesus, the resurrection life and power of Jesus. And, and uh, for those who have turned and trusted you, we are joined to Jesus. And you have made this possible through the work of your Holy Spirit. We ask right now for fresh filling. Fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Turn, to, turn the furnace on, Lord. And just let us see and sense and behold and, and experience your glory through the work of the Spirit. So that we might respond accordingly in a manner that is congruent, in a manner worthy, in a manner that is right and fitting of all that you are and all that you have done. May that happen now for us in your name. Amen.